My name is Alan Carr. I'm pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Lenore, North Carolina. Thank you for visiting our webpage and for taking the time to listen to one of our sermons. We hope this sermon, which was preached in our pulpit, will be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and help you grow in your understanding of God's Word. God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of the Word of God. James chapter number 4. The title of this series, we're working through the book of James. We have been since the first Sunday in January. And we're moving along at a pretty good clip. Um, maybe not fast enough for you, but plenty fast enough for me. I titled this series, James, Faith That Works. If I was going to start preaching it today, I would change the name. I would call it In Your Face, because that's what this book is. It's in your face. I mean, it's confrontational, and it's direct, and uh, yeah, it's tough, man, tough. I sit down to prepare the sermons, and I have to, I have to look at myself the whole time I'm doing this. I try to see you try to think about where maybe you are, and I, you know, I don't know what all your needs are, but I keep your faces before me as I prepare and pray. Uh, but at the same time, the Word of God is a mirror, James said, and it reveals my heart to me, and what I see is not always pleasant. There's a lot of room for improvement in me, and I thank God for what I've learned about myself and about God out of this book. Today will be no different. We're going to talk about how grace comes down out of James 4, verses 7 through 10. And um, just to give you a disclaimer up front, we probably won't get past verse 7 this morning, but that's all right. James chapter 4 and verse 7, if you're able, let's stand together. We'll read all four verses, and then we'll just preach until I feel like it's time to quit, and then we'll quit. James 4, 7. James says, Submit yourselves... Therefore to God. Now the word therefore, you know, every time you see that in your Bible, try to figure out what it's there for, right? And it's there to call our attention back to what we've already heard. James is still continuing a thought here. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. You can be seated. You know, water, water's an amazing substance, isn't it? I mean, you think about it, water's a blessing. I would say water is one of the greatest natural gifts that God has given us. It's the best thirst quencher we possess. There's nothing like water to quench your thirst. It's essential, necessary for life, whether it's animal life or plant life. Water is an absolute necessity. And water is something we have on our earth in abundance. In fact, for us here in America, uh, clean water, good drinking water, is there's an abundance of it. There's no shortage. Thank God for this life-giving, uh, thirst-quenching water that we have. And water's an amazing substance and has some pretty interesting properties. One of the properties water has is that it's subject to changing conditions. All substances are. 
but water in its natural state is in a liquid form. But if you take this water and you boil it, it turns into steam. If you put it in the freezer, it'll turn into ice. It's subject to the conditions that are around it. In the wintertime, we get it in the form of snow, sleet. Sometimes we get hail. Sometimes we get rain. But it's all water. Water's all around us all the time, and we don't always think about it. Something else amazing about water is it always assumes the shape of the container in which you place it. Doesn't matter what container you put it in, water's going to assume the shape of it, right? Okay, I mean, it's in this bottle. I could pour it out into something else, and it would assume the shape of that container. That's what water does. What I want to focus on is this property of water and kind of build from that the thought I want to give you today. Water always seeks the lowest level. That's something about water that I've noticed. It always seeks the lowest level. The rains come down on the mountains, and the waters collect in small streams. Those small streams flow into larger creeks. The creeks flow ever downward into great rivers, and the rivers continue their journeys until they empty into the sea. Then that water is evaporated, and it goes right back through the same process again. Water is subject to gravity. Now, we all are, but water is something that always seeks the lowest level. And the connection I see between water and what James says is that Grace resembles water in the way it comes down to us. James is talking about grace. He finished verse number 6 by saying, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And he continues building on that thought of grace in verse number 7 and beyond. There's a certain gravity involved with grace. Grace always begins with God in heaven. And then grace works, it way, it works its way down to us in mighty life-giving rivers which bring peace and blessing and joy and life and goodness. Grace is a wonderful thing. Now James just told us in verse 6 that those who humble themselves under God's authority experience His rivers of grace flowing into their lives. In the beginning, this grace comes to us in the form of saving grace. God's grace comes down to us to a lost soul providing a river of life-giving salvation. Through grace, a dead sinner is raised to new life in Jesus Christ and set on a new path to the glory of God. And after the sinner is converted, that river of grace continues to flow into the life of the believer. When Jesus in John 4 was speaking to a woman, he met at Jacob's well one day. In the course of their conversation, Jesus tried to get her to see, and he did, that the religion she was looking to for salvation was a dead religion. In John chapter 4, verse number 13, Jesus said this. He said, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. And Jesus was referring to Jacob's well in the physical sense. She had come there at the noon hour to draw water. But he was referring in a metaphorical sense or by sense of illustration to the religion she hoped would save her. And Jesus told her in that verse you see there, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. I put that up there to point out the word drinketh. The word drinketh is a verb and it means to drink, right? In that particular verse it is a present tense active voice verb. You say, what in the world does that mean? Well, here's what Jesus was saying to her. 
He was saying, you can come to this well and drink 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 every day of your life. But you're going to get thirsty again. Some point during this message, I may open this bottle of water because my mouth gets dry. And I'm going to take a drink of this. If I don't drink it during the service, I'll probably drink it after the service. But this water is going down my gullet to quench my thirst. The problem is, when I get home, I'll have to have something else to drink because I'll be thirsty again. Throughout the day, I've got to keep going back to one well or the other to keep refilling my tank and quenching my thirst. And I drink every day that I live, and so do you. All of us drink, whether it's coffee, tea, soft drinks, water. All of us drink something, and we put water in some form into our bodies throughout the day. And no matter how much we put in, we always get thirsty again. And that's an illustration of the futility and failure of human religion. Because a person can keep all the rules and do what they're told to do as part of their religious process. But they're never, ever satisfied. There will always be a thirst for more. And why is that? It's because human religion can never satisfy the soul. Because the religious person will never know when they've satisfied all the commandments. They'll never know when they've kept all the rules. They'll never know when they've kept all the regulations and obligations. They can never be sure they're right with God. There will always be more rules. There will always be more conditions. And human religion lacks the power to save, and it lacks the power to satisfy. Now, in connection with that, Jesus went on talking to this woman after telling her, you've got to drink and drink and drink and drink and drink, and you're going to keep on drinking, but you're going to keep on getting thirsty. In the next verse, Jesus said, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now if you'll notice, that verb drinketh there is the same word, it's just in a different tense. In that particular verse, and you don't care about this stuff, it says nuts and bolts, but it's in the aorist tense, active voice, and the aorist tense is kind of like our past tense, except it has ongoing consequences into the future. So what Jesus said in verse 13, you just keep on drinking this well, you'll keep on getting thirsty. But if you take one drink of the water that I have, if you'll let me give you one drink out of my well, you'll never be thirsty again. You will be forever satisfied. One drink from my well will satisfy you now, and it will satisfy you through eternity. That is a blessing, and that is the power of God's grace. That woman took the drink Jesus offered her. She drank from his well. And when she did, she was radically changed. She was eternally saved from her sins, and she was perpetually satisfied. Now, these statements illustrate for us the power of God to save and sustain his people. When the Lord redeemed us, ladies and gentlemen, he placed within us an artesian well of grace that continues to satisfy the soul forever. But hear what I'm about to say. Just as it is possible to dam the flow of a river and reduce its volume, the same is true with grace. You can build a dam and reduce the flow of a river to a trickle. 
you can do the same thing with the flow of God's grace into your life. When we allow sin and rebellion against God to reside in our hearts, we can dam up the flow of God's grace into us. That's what's happening in the church to which James is writing. Their sin, their petty disagreements, their self-centeredness, their lusts for more that he catalogs in the first verses of this chapter. All of those things had stopped the river of grace from flowing into their lives. And James comes to them with a stick of spiritual dynamite intended to help them demolish the dam that is staunching the river of grace so that the grace of God might flow unimpeded into their life once again. If they're going to enjoy that river of life-giving grace, then they must take the steps James lays out in the verses we've read today. And these verses teach us how grace comes down to us. I wonder, do you want grace for your daily life? Do you want grace to overcome sin in your daily life? Do you want grace to live for God and to walk for Him in this world and to flesh out what God did in you when He saved you by His grace? Do you want God's grace to be a mighty, life-giving, growth-inducing, river-flowing into you and through you to reach others for the glory of God? If you do, you've got to learn how grace comes down. And you've got to take the steps James lays out in this passage. Now, in this text we've read, there's a series of hard-hitting commands. In fact, there are ten in all that James gives in a staccato, machine-like style. It's just bam, 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 ten times. He tells them things they have to do. I'm not going to give you a ten-point sermon. Dave, you're only going to get one point. I've only got three points total. I'm going to condense them all into three. But James lays out the steps that you and I need to take if we would demolish the dam which holds back the awesome grace of God so that it can flow unimpeded into our life. And if we will do what he says, we will soon find ourselves swimming in an ocean of God's amazing, abundant, sufficient grace. Let's begin the day in verse 7 and talk about how grace comes down. Now verse 7 tells us about who you must surrender. Who you must surrender. You say, that sounds strange. Yes, it does. I'll try to clarify. Look what he says again, verse 7. He said, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, this first step that James outlines here, It confronts every one of us at a deeply personal level. There are two commands here. Submit to God, resist the devil. Now these commands on the surface appear diametrically opposed one to the other. God over here, the devil over there. But the fact is, the second command flows naturally out of the first. When you do the first, you will automatically do the second. And if you don't do the first, you will automatically not do the second. So let's examine what James has to say. 
The first command there is submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit is a military term, and it means to arrange yourself under. And it refers to a person of low rank assuming a position of submission under a superior officer. In this case, the superior person is God, and the person of lower rank is you, and it's me. One of the first things we've got to understand about ourselves is that we are not God. We've got to understand our rank. God is God alone. We are not God. We are not God's nor will we ever be. We are of the lowest rank imaginable. We don't even have our private stripes yet. In fact, Paul, talking about us, said we are the off-scouring of all things. We are nothing, the lowest of the low, and we must assume a place of absolute submission before God Almighty. Now, this command confronts our culture in a way that is repulsive to the human heart. Because after all, people nowadays are taught to be assertive. People are taught to stand up for themselves, to demand their rights. There are people who actually pay big money to attend classes on assertiveness and dominance. They go and sit through lessons on how to set themselves above others. I wonder how many people would pay to attend a class on humility. I wonder how many would pay to attend a class on submission. How many people would pay money to learn how to become less? No, they wouldn't. Because people don't want to be made less. People want to magnify self. They want to climb to the top of the pile and they don't care who they have to step on to get there, that is the way of the world. But what James is doing in verse 7 is he is calling the people of God back to the place of their initial submission to Him. Can you remember when God saved you? Can you remember when the Lord God Almighty came to you and you were lost and dead in trespass and sin and God dealt with your heart? God opened your understanding. God gave you faith to see Christ crucified for you. He gave you the ability to see how wretched and lost you were, and God drew you unto Himself and saved you. Can you remember when that happened? If you can, can you remember how aware of your sin you were at that moment in time? It seemed to me that I was the greatest sinner who had ever lived. My heart was as black as the walls of hell itself. I was dirty and unclean and I knew that I was wretched and deserved to die. Do you remember how unworthy you felt at that moment? Do you remember the fear that was in your heart as you wondered whether God would even save you? I mean, hey, listen, do you remember how you had done so much wickedness and you had done so much evil and committed so much sin that there was no way God could save somebody like you? Do you remember how it felt 
to see yourself as a sinner. Did anybody but me think in that moment of time that they were the chief of sinners? Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Can I say this to you? That is to be our everyday experience. We are to never get over that. We are to never forget who we are. We are to never forget what we are, but we do. Do we not? We forget how low down, dirty, stinking, and rotten we really are. I heard a little clip this week. I started to bring it and play it to you. I don't do videos when I preach, but I started to put this one because it was so good. Dr. R.C. Sproul was in a conference, and they were having a Q&A session. And somebody in the, quest- in the audience asked a question, and the question was, why was God's punishment on Adam in the Garden of Eden so severe? Why was God so harsh? And Dr. Sproul's a pretty calm dude. He's a Presbyterian guy, and he's kind of laid back usually. But man, he flew into a rage. He said, he said, harsh. He said, the problem with you to ask such an idiotic question is the problem with the whole modern church. He said, we don't know anything about God. And we don't know anything about ourselves. Because if we saw how holy He is, we would understand how wretched we are. I added that last part. And that's the truth. God is holy, we are not, and we need to remember that. But we want to succeed. We want to excel. We want to be on top. We want to be recognized. We want life to run according to our rules. We want to be in charge. And when life doesn't go as we want it to, we we can come to resent God because of that. I mean, when others do better than us, we can resent God. When our health fails, you and I sometimes rebel against Him. When a loved one dies, we get angry. When people hurt us, we carry that hurt in our hearts and grieve over how poorly we have been treated. When we don't get our way in life, we very often become just like the prophet Jonah who did not get what he wanted when he went to preach in Nineveh. Let me tell you, God sent him down there and told him to tell those people, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. He went in and preached, and he didn't want a single one of them to get right with God. In fact, he didn't want to go anyway because he hated them, because he was a racist. He wanted every one of them to die and go to hell. And God made him go, and he went in and preached, and then God did a great miracle of grace, and saved an entire city and Jonah went out and sat down on a hill and he pouted because he didn't get what he wanted. God even let a gourd grow up and provide shade to the pouting prophet. And he sat there in the shade of that little gourd and he had his lip pooched out and he was mad. He sat there waiting for God. Maybe God's going to come by and destroy the Ninevites anyway. He was upset. God sent a worm to eat the gourd and let it die. And Jonah got mad because the gourd died. He was more concerned over a dead gourd than he was over a whole city full of lost people. He wasn't getting his way. God came to the prophet and said, Doest thou well to be angry? And Jonah answered, I do well to be angry even unto death. 
He didn't care. He just wanted his way. And isn't that how we are? And when we don't get it oftentimes, we'll pooch out our lips. We'll get pooch mouth disease and brood in our anger and rebellion against God. When we act in such a fashion, we build a dam between ourselves and the good grace of God and we restrict its flow into our lives. When we pout because things are not as we think they should be, we hurt nobody besides ourselves. And folk, I'll tell you, such an attitude is not submission to God. It is rebellion. It is an attitude that says, I wish I was God, then everything would go my way. The challenge for us today, and I'm already about out of time. Where'd it go? The challenge for us is to remember who God is. I am not God. You are not God. God and God alone is God. We have a duty to submit to Him. We are to assume an abor- an, a, a subordinate position under Him. We are to yield to His authority in our lives. We are to submit ourselves to Almighty God for us to be saved from our sin. You may believe different than me. doesn't really matter. Brother Tony was talking earlier about what people think. Brother, who cares what people think? It makes no difference what anybody thinks about anything. All that matters is what God thinks. Right? It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. I don't really care what people think. Hope you don't. If you do, get past it because it doesn't matter. When God saved us from our sins, you and I had to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. You had to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not like the buffet down at AJ's. You don't go up there and say, Well, I'm going to have some green beans and rice and gravy and a piece of chicken, and I'm going to get me some of those uh, uh, little steak pieces, what do you call them things? I don't know what they're called. I'm going to get me some of that and put on my plate, but I ain't getting none of that squash, and I'm not getting none of them butter beans. I don't like that stuff. When I go to a buffet, I got options. I got choices. I'm in control. I can do what I want to. When I come to Jesus, I don't have options. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. I may not understand what that means, but I've got to be willing to humble myself to Him and receive Him as my Lord, be willing to repent of my sin and accept Him as my sovereign commander and yield to His authority in my life. And that does not stop after I'm saved. He is still my Lord. From day one to the day I stand before Him, He will always and forever be the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are saved by God's grace, you are God's slave. And we have no right to demand anything. We, God has every right to demand our absolute surrender and obedience. Here's what Paul said, What, know you not? That the, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have received of God. Watch the next phrase. And ye are not your own. Did you get that? You don't even control yourself. You do, but you shouldn't. For ye are bought with a price. The price of our Lord's death for us on the cross. 
Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Watch the last phrase again. Which are God's. The whole point, James says, if you want grace to flow into your life, in a mighty flood, if you want God's blessing in your life in a substantial way, if you want to enjoy God's presence and God's peace and God's joy and God's power and everything God has for you, he said you got to blow the dam up. you got to blow up the dam of rebellion. You've got to blow up the dam of you doing whatever you want to do. You've got to blow the dam of you not submitting to Him and you've got to rank yourself under Him. You've got to surrender your rights. You've got to come to a place where you tell God I'm not God, you are and I'm nothing but what you've made by your grace and I submit to you Lord and I pray you have your way in my life that's what it takes that's the first essential step the rest of what I'll talk about next time didn't even get verse 7 thought I would the rest of us, the rest of this tells us how to build on that. Because the first essential step is submitting to God. And what I think we miss in the church today is that this has become, we don't like to admit it, but church for many people has just become a religious society. We, we come in and we go through our motions, we do the things we do around here, and we don't put a lot of thought and heart into it. And then we go back out and we just pick up where we left off and, and do the things we want to do. We live by our schedule, we follow our plans, and we do all our stuff, and we hardly ever give God much thought in our lives. But He's our commanding officer, right? In fact, it's more than that, He is our owner. And my first step, if I want to please Him and be in a place of favor and be in a place where I can enjoy the mighty river of grace, is I have to submit. I have to stand at attention before Him and wait for His orders and then do what He tells me without question, without complaint, and without talking back. He wants me to submit. He wants me to yield. He wants me to recognize His rank and understand my place, which is under his foot. I don't think we do that. I really don't. If we did that, it would show. It would show in how we treat his house, and how we treat one another, and how we live our lives. If we did that, we would have God on our hearts more than we do. We would always be listening for our commander to speak we would be waiting for his orders we would be yielded to him all the time but we we've done our church thing today we came to church on sunday morning we have checked the box got that done this week been to church got that done mark that off move on down the list now go home and eat a little lunch and watch a little football and check the back of my eyelids for cracks and tonight kind of take it easy and you know, just lay around and then I'm going to get tomorrow and do my thing. Is that what the commander wants you to do? What does he want you to do? Well, sure, that's part of it. He wants you to come back to church. Might as well go ahead and throw in a commercial for church. 
we do have it at 6. There will be church here at uh, 7 o'clock Wednesday night too. For those of you who have forgotten. You used to come back when you were more submitted. But now you have made yourself an officer. And you do what you want to do. And you don't listen to what the commander says. But that's not all God wants you to do. Go to church is important. And I'm not going to judge you. You do what you want to do. If you want to come, come. If you don't, stay home. Between you and God, he'll call you on the carpet one of these days. That's not none of my business, really. But it's deeper than just coming to church. It involves a minute-by-minute submission to him. Whereby I'm always seeking what God wants me to do. And I'm trying to walk in His favor, neglecting myself, denying my lust, denying my pleasure, denying my will, doing what God wants me to do above all things. That's what submission's about. It's about being always available, always plugged in, always listening, always waiting for what He has for me to do. And I'll be honest with you, I'm like everybody else, I struggle with that. I struggle with that. Because there's things I'd like to do. There's things I want to, you know, get done in life. There's, my goodness, I need, to, I need to work on my yard. Who's got time? I'm preparing sermons nobody remembers. <laughs> That's what I do, man. That's all I get done. There's other stuff I want to do, but my commander said preach, and so preach is what I got to do. Right? I don't know what else to do, but I still struggle have a hard time, and it's these minute-by-minute decisions, this minute-by-minute closeness, this minute-by-minute submission, it's a hard thing for me, and I'm sure it is for you too. And we need to work on that to reach a place where we are yielded to God, where everything is out there, and we're holding nothing back, but we have submitted ourselves to God. That's how you get grace. Not saving grace, but day-to-day living grace. I call your attention back to what he said in verse 6, and I am done. Brother Bobby, head this way, so I will quit. But he giveth more grace. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, listen again, God resisteth the proud. The proud being those who are self-sufficient, those who stand in themselves. He resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Those who rank themselves under, those who, who assume that position of subservience, Those people who assume that position of a servant at his feet, God gives grace to those. Are you those? If you're not submitted, you ought to come talk to him about it. Better yet, y'all just submit and live it. Amen? Let's stand. You have been listening to a sermon from Calvary Baptist Church. Thank you for taking the time to visit our webpage today and to listen to our sermon. Please check back often for new content. We'd love to have you visit with us at Calvary Baptist Church. The church is located at 1369 Blowing Rock Boulevard Northwest in Lenore, North Carolina. Our Sunday morning worship begins at 11 a.m., Sunday evening at 6 p.m., and Wednesday night at 7 p.m., and you would be welcome at any of our services. Thanks again for listening, and may the Lord bless you is our prayer.